Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on February 26, 2023 on the basis of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Please join me in a prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Your reputation. Your reputation is what other people think of you, right? So if you were to to think a little bit about what sort of things make up your reputation, what what things contribute to your reputation, what would fall in that conversation. Uh, maybe a contributor of your reputation would be what, what you choose to reveal about yourself, right? There's, there's some things that you, you don't reveal. Those are things that you, you keep private, but you'll, you'll reveal some things to some people and more things to more people, and what you reveal about yourself is, is definitely a part of your, your reputation, right? Um, uh, another part of your reputation is how you carry yourself, right? The, the vibe you give off. Uh, people can kind of get a sense of who you are by kind of being around you a bit. Now, certainly, uh, how you speak and what you say, that, that's going to make up part of your reputation. Uh, but maybe the biggest contributing factor to your, your uh, reputation would be your actions, kind of like children's devotion was talking about. Uh, in, in many ways, you are defined by what you do. So if we, if we take that concept, you are defined by what you do, uh, someone else is defined by what they do, could we take that same concept and look at our, our section from Matthew chapter 4 today and figure out who the devil is and what his reputation is? I, I think we can. So we're going to do that. We're going to break the this particular text up into three parts because it kind of works out well that way with the three temptations here. So the very first temptation, uh, right before this, Jesus had just been baptized and it was a pretty awesome scene. Maybe you remember that scene a little bit. Jesus is in the Jordan River with John the Baptist. Uh, after John the Baptist was kind of um, quarreling with Jesus a little bit, uh, saying, I don't need, I need to be baptized by you. I shouldn't be baptizing you, right? You're the perfect son of God. And, uh, but Jesus ends up being baptized, and as he's in the Jordan uh, River with John the Baptist, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and all of a sudden a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father comes and says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It was an amazing scene. And so it's kind of a quick turnaround. You saw at the beginning of the text that the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. Jesus went from this awesome scene at his baptism out into the Judean wilderness by himself. That was not a place that you would go by yourself. It was a dangerous place, but there Jesus is, alone, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Interesting, the text includes the nights. Typically, when Jews fasted, they fasted from sun up to sundown, and they would eat when the sun was down. Uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I don't know about you, but I get a little ornery and uncomfortable after I skip one meal. You can ask my wife, she'll tell you. Jesus skipped 40 meals, or 40 days worth of, 
of meals. He had to be in just about as weak a state as you could possibly be in. Probably the only time he was weaker was just before he, he died, right? If you go, on, go online and Google how long you can live without food, um, 40 days is on the, the higher end of that. Uh, it's possible for somebody to live more than 40 days without food, but some people would die even before 40 days. So Jesus is extremely weak here, and guess who shows up right at that moment? The devil. Uh, he's an opportunist, isn't he? He's going to come to Jesus when he is at his, his uh, weakest physically, and he's going to tempt Jesus. And so he starts off with this temptation. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Uh, Jesus, it, the devil is playing off of what just happened. It, the Father had just said, this is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Well, if you are the Son of God... If you are who you say you are, if you are who the Father says you are, well, then it should be within your power to turn these stones to bread, and I bet you're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days or 40 nights. It's pretty obvious, maybe, at first, what the devil is doing, but there's also a subtle implication behind that temptation. The subtle implication is this. God is not good. If God was good, then, Jesus, why, why is he letting you go 40 days and 40 nights without food? Why are you in the state that you're in, almost starving to death? If God truly was good, he, he wouldn't have let you get to that point. So just take things into your own hands. Just use your own power. You have the power to do it. Just, just turn those stones to bread and eat. Put yourself out of your misery already. If we can define the devil by what he does, then we'd have to say he's a, a predator, pouncing at the most opportune time, pouncing on your weaknesses. So, for, for you, maybe that might be when you're starting to worry a little bit about your, your basic needs. Uh, how are you going to pay this bill? How are you going uh, to be able to buy enough food for this week? How are you going to afford rent? Uh, how are you going to afford this, this huge medical bill that, that's com coming up? You might wait till just that moment to, to sow just a little bit of doubt in your mind about his goodness. Or he might wait till you're going through some, some pretty tough suffering or some big tragedy happens in your life. He might wait till just that moment. And at that moment, he'll, he'll plant a thought in your head. Well, maybe, maybe God's not good. Maybe he's out to get me. Uh, maybe he doesn't have my best interests in mind. If we can define the devil by what he does, he is a predator preying on the weak. There's kind of a shift in the second temptation. Uh, Jesus refutes the devil using God's word in that first temptation, and you can tell the devil takes note of that. Uh, if, if Jesus is going to use God's word to refute the devil, the devil thinks, well, I can use God's word too. I, I could use God's word and twist it just a little bit. I could use God's word and cast a little bit of doubt on God's word, and that's exactly what the devil does. So, the devil takes him to the holy city. The holy city is Jerusalem. He takes him to the highest point of the temple. Um, if you've seen pictures of the western wall that's still there today, um, it's about that side, whereas it's the tallest point. That's, that's a steep drop. You're starting to get the butterflies if you're standing up there uh, looking down, because uh, it's, a, it's a steep drop there. And the devil tempts Jesus and says this, if you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down from here. 
kind of seems like a ridiculous temptation, doesn't it? Why would anybody be tempted to throw themselves off of the, the, the temple there? But the devil has a passage. He has a passage. He says, doesn't, doesn't God say this about this, about, about you? He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Didn't God promise to protect you? And if you truly trust God, wouldn't you do this? Wouldn't you throw yourself off just to, to show that you trust God in this way and, and hold him true to his, his promises? If we can define the devil by what he does, he is a crafty manipulator, twisting God's word and casting doubts on God's word in the hearts of his followers. So for you, it, it might look even more subtle than this. It, it is more subtle than this. He might use your emotions. He might manipulate your emotions and set your emotions at odds with the truth of God's word, as if they are incongruent, as if they're battling against each other. He might leverage that to get you to doubt some of God's word. He might plant a little bit of false doctrine around you just so he can rip comfort away from you. Or he might take a different tact. Uh, he, he might uh, get you to start to question your forgiveness and your salvation by reminding you of some of the most shameful moments of your life, the most shameful things that maybe nobody else even knows about. He'll, he'll remind you of those and remind you of those so he can accuse and accuse and accuse and make you feel like you couldn't possibly be forgiven. If the devil is defined by what he does... He is a crafty manipulator, twisting God's word and casting doubt on it. So we've gone from ground level to the top of the temple, and now we're going to go up even higher, to the highest mountain to see all of the kingdoms of the world. Uh, it doesn't seem like this was a mountain in Jerusalem. It seems like this was maybe a vision. Uh, there was no mountain in Jerusalem that was high enough to see all the kingdoms of the world. Uh, but anyways, Jesus and, and the devil, they're, they're looking over all the kingdoms of the world, and the devil brings this temptation. He says, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. A blatant lie with an empty promise. Jesus, just, just take the shortcut. Avoid the suffering, avoid the cross, and just take the glory. Now, wouldn't it be nice to, to live life without that suffering and just have all the glory? Just bow down to me now and all of this uh, will be yours. If the devil is defined by what he does, he is a liar promising things that he cannot give. He's going to make you all kinds of promises too. He's going to promise you things that will lead to the quote-unquote good life. He'll promise you fulfillment, but, but leave you with things that only leave you feeling empty. He'll promise you peace, but instead give you chaos. He'll promise you life, but the devil can only give death. If the devil is defined by what he does, then he is a liar uh, who promises things that he can't give. The thing is, the devil is defined by what he does. And he is a predator. He is a manipulator. And he is a liar. But he often succeeds. He often succeeds in tempting us and then pulling us in to that sin. He succeeds in preying on our weaknesses. He succeeds in manipulating God's word in our own minds, casting doubt in God's, of God's word in our own minds. He, he succeeds um, 
he succeeds in, in lying, lying to us and luring us away with those lies, deceiving us in those ways. If the devil is defined by what he does and he wins a lot, he kind of starts to seem like the winner, doesn't he? And if that same logic is true, if we're defined by what we do, then, then how would we define ourselves? Because we find, our, find ourselves falling into temptation all the time. Sometimes it's unwittingly. Sometimes the devil is, is so crafty that we're falling into sin before we even know what's happening. Other times, we know we're being tempted and we fall into sin anyways. If we are defined by what we do, then uh, we're losers. We're sinners. Yet I don't want you to miss this text here. Because the most important thing about this text is not the, the tactics of the devil's temptation. The most important thing to pull out of this text and the most important truth to walk away from today with is you are not defined by what you do or what you have done. You are defined by what Jesus has done for you. Say that one more time. You are not defined by what you do or what you have done. You are defined by what Jesus has done for you. This isn't the how-to guide to fighting against temptation. Sure, we could take some notes from Jesus here. But the main comfort in this text is that Jesus won. He never gave in to temptation, not, not even once. He remained perfectly innocent throughout all of his temptations, even when he was at his weakest. And Jesus' victory gives us victory because he is our champion. Have you heard that term before, champion? I'm not talking about like the, the NBA Finals champion or the, um, the wrestling champion. Uh, I'm talking about uh, the old term, battle term for champion. In ancient battle practices, you'd have two armies lined up against each other, one on this side, one on this side, and the battlefield in between. And as they were waiting for the battle to commence, sometimes they would each choose a champion, probably their best fighter that would come out, and they would fight one-on-one -on -one in the middle of that battlefield. And what they were doing is they were essentially wagering the whole outcome of the battle on the outcome of this one-on-one -on -one fight. So if, the champ, if your champion won, then you won the battle. We kind of saw that with David and Goliath, right? These are the two champions, Goliath, this really tall guy, and David, this small little shepherd boy. But, but David was the champion who defeated Goliath, and, and that in turn gave the, the army the, the victory there. Jesus is our champion. He defeated the devil by resisting temptation, not just in these three temptations, but all throughout his life. He resisted temptation and lived a perfect life. Jesus defeated the devil by, by taking that perfect life and sacrificing himself on the cross, making an innocent sacrifice for us. And because Jesus won, we win. You, you saw that in Romans chapter 5, right? The concept of the champion. The Apostle Paul really plays up that concept. And he starts by saying that Adam... He was a poor champion. <laughs> Adam went face-to-face went -face with sin, went face-to-face -face with the temptation. What did he do? He walked into it. He ate the fruit. And because of Adam and, and Eve's sin, sin entered the world and so did death. That's what came through, through Adam as our champion. But Jesus was the greatest champion. 
Because Jesus, uh, through this, this one righteous act, through, through this one righteous life, through giving himself up on the cross, didn't bring death to all people, but brought life to all people, brought salvation to all people. This is what Paul said. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. So through Jesus' obedience, you have been made righteous. Through Jesus' obedience, when he looks at you, he sees perfection. You are not defined by what you do or what you have done. You are defined by what Jesus has done for you. You are defined by who Jesus has made you to be. Uh, will, you, will you permit me one uh, basketball illustration here? Um, it, let, let's, I want you to picture this. You're, you're at a basketball game, a high school basketball game, let's say, um, and the game was, was going pretty well in the first half, but the, the second half, it's now become a little lopsided. Uh, the team that's winning is up by 30, and there's only five minutes left or so. Some people are, are starting to go out and warm up the car already. Um, the, the student sections are starting to Stop paying attention a, a little bit here. The game is essentially over. The second strings are, are in. Um, but the, the losing team maybe has one last shining moment, right? Uh, they, they steal the ball, and they go down the other, other, to the other end, and they, they, they pull off a dunk, right? And the student section that, of the losing team that's still paying attention, uh, they're, they're excited, right? Our team just stole it and dunked it. This was awesome. And so they cheer a little bit, and... But the, the winning team student section responds with uh, a different cheer. You've probably heard this at a, a basketball game before. They cheer, scoreboard, scoreboard, scoreboard. Because as, as awesome as that dunk may have been, as good as that little victory was, that team was still going to lose. <laughs> and, and the scoreboard was the, the stark reality that brought them back to that stark reality that they were going to lose and that team that was up by 30 was going to win. The devil's going to tempt you. The devil's going to prey on your weaknesses. He's going to manipulate God's word. Uh, he's going to, to lie to you all over the place to try to, to pull you away from, from the truth of God's word and, and the salvation that God has won for you. And in those moments, just, just look at the scoreboard. Because Jesus won. The devil's not coming back. His head's been crushed. He's gone. You are not defined by what you do or have done. You are not defined by the, the, the temptations that the devil succeeds um, in your life, succeeds over in your life. You are defined by Jesus' victory. He has won. Thanks to him. Amen. Hi, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's always great to grow in God's word together. Could I issue you a challenge for this week? Could you invite someone else to listen to this? Uh, these days in the 21st century, it's pretty easy uh, to invite somebody just to, to listen to a sermon. It's very non-threatening. So please take this challenge and see if you might just be able to get one more person to hear about Jesus' love for them. And we hope you'll tune in next week for another sermon from God's Word.